the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. All right, it is a Wednesday. We are middle of the way through the week. That's a good thing. A little bit more rain today. They're saying an inch, maybe a little over that. And another inch for sure on Friday. And uh, again, let me remind you that uh, at all of the hardware stores and lumber yards around the area, they are sold out of gopher wood, just so that you'll know. Can't pick up any... Uh, you know, just going into the shop and, and doing some shopping. Can't do that. Keep that in mind. I, I just know that I'm getting tired of the rain now. I'm ready for some sunshine. And evidently, from what I'm seeing, and uh, we'll, we'll keep in mind that being a weatherman is the only, you know, job that you can have that you can be wrong 60% of the time and keep your job. Uh, that they... <laughs> They're telling us that the weekend's going to be beautiful. Now, that's what they're saying. Heidi, that's what they're telling us, that it's going to be beautiful. I'm going to hold them to it. All right, so hopefully that will happen, and we'll start getting up to summertime temperatures uh, next week uh, when we're going to be in the low 90s. So it's going to get warm again around the uh, the area. All right, so let's see. Where did I do that? I, let me give you the information about gas. All right. Uh, the uh, average price of a gallon of um, unleaded across the nation is now $4.95. Here in Arkansas, let's do it by Arkansas because that's what's affecting us, right? Uh, it's $4.47 for a gallon of gas. Uh, last week, it was cents almost 30 cents cheaper a gallon a year ago do you want to really hear this Heidi what it was a year ago and you probably don't I don't really like to look at this two dollars and 76 cents is what it was on average across the state of Arkansas and our president to um, deal with this says um, well I'm going to talk to Venezuela and I'm going to talk with the Saudis now it was not that long ago that the president of the United States was calling Saudi Arabia the pariah of the world. But that was before we needed more oil, right? So now he wants them uh, to turn the spigot up a little bit uh, and import more oil to the United States. So now, yeah, they're still pariahs. I'm sure he would say that you know, away from the camera, but we need their oil. 
And really, we don't. We don't need their oil. Change his policies. If he would change his policies towards American oil, we would not need the oil from any other country. We'd be doing just fine ourselves. But that's not the case. He's bringing in foreign oil. And um, a barrel of oil right now, did I see this correctly, that it was, uh, you know, a hundred, like a hundred and almost a hundred and nine dollars. It's just under a hundred and ten dollars a barrel. Do you remember during the Trump administration when it was like sixty dollars a barrel? Do you remember that? Can you can you reach back in your your memory banks and remember that? Can you remember when we were energy independent? And then. Biden was elected, and what's the first few things that he did? Well, the first thing he said, that he was declaring war on the fossil fuel industry. Now, fossil fuel industry is oil, coal, things of that nature, things that we definitely need uh, as an industrial uh, society. Now, if you want to be a real tree-hugging greenie, then we got to go back to, you know, an agrarian society and not worry about having smartphones and all the rest of the stuff that's necessary, computers and everything else, that runs on electricity. The South would have to lose most of their uh, population gains over the last 40 years and uh, we talked about this before, that the reason that happened was because of central air conditioning. People didn't want to live down in Atlanta. They didn't want to live down in in a, a lot of Florida or Louisiana, New Orleans, uh, down in parts of Texas. It was too freaking hot. Then came AC. And you can go back and look at the censuses, and you can see the movement in this country. Now, are we going to see the movement back to the north because people want to be cool? <laughs> I can't predict that other than to say if they keep driving energy prices up, it could happen. It just might uh, happen. People say, we just can't take this any longer. Uh, we need more energy. No, we can't get more energy, so we got to go where it's cooler. I can see it happening. Just let you know, people are thinking that way. All right, yesterday, the big news, the big news was dazed and confused Matthew McConaughey showed up at the White House during the press briefing. I want you to think about this for a moment. The president wasn't there. Matthew McConaughey was there. And, you know, I'm going to give him credit. He's a good actor. I like his movies. And I like, uh, I like the thought process that this is a guy that used to sit outside his double wide, naked, by the fire and play his bongos. I mean, I'm, I'm, just, <laughs> I'm just saying. That's Matthew McConaughey. And it's pretty bad when in America, you got to have somebody from Hollyweird uh, that comes in. Of course, he doesn't live there. He lives in Hollywood-weird to the east. He lives in Austin, Texas. Uh, you get him up in front of a microphone and let him uh, do the talking, and he sounds like he's he's talking common sense. I can't make this up. 
All right. It is it is what happened yesterday. I can't make it up. I couldn't write it if I was writing fiction. I'm just telling you. So let me take something that he said yesterday. Just one term, because you're hearing it more and more. Let's see. We've heard, uh, you know, weapons of war. That's the one that people have been using more. I I, I saw a, a tweet this morning, a, a lady uh, who definitely is not a, a pro-2A person, making the statement that, uh, you know, AR-15s uh, were only good for uh, shooting and, and, and rending flesh. Well, it depends on what flesh you're talking about, right? I mean, I use them in deer hunting, and that's a good thing that he goes in and, and kills the deer because I like eating, uh, you know, venison. I still got some in my my refrigerator, my freezer. It was sent to that that was giving me some extra I got from duck that he uh, he shot up in uh, the northern part of the state up there by Ash Flats. So anyway, you hear that you're hearing them saying, uh, "What was it?" The president said the nine millimeter high uh, high velocity handgun, and I just don't understand how anybody needs one of those. Now, this is the man who said you, you need a, you know, like a 20-gauge shotgun uh, that you should be using uh, in your home uh, for personal protection. Well, the other thing that's being said now, and you're hearing it more and more often, is responsible gun ownership. McConaughey said that yesterday. He went down his litany. More money for mental health. More money to harden schools. And he said a couple of other things. I forget what they were. And the last, oh, American values and uh, get back to family values. Family values came before American values. Then the last thing he said, and responsible gun ownership. What does that mean? We'll take it up after we come back from our first break here on the Dave Ellswick Show. What is responsible gun ownership that's a wide term i'm telling you but you're going to hear a lot more of it i'm going to tell you the democrats and the anti-gunners are going to pick this up well i don't have any problems with guns if they show responsible gun ownership yeah i was looking at my facebook camera and raising my eyebrows I just say. All right, let's get our break in. Let me remind you about uh, Billy Mack and what he's doing with ICU protection. Uh, people are worried about crime now, and rightly so, with a lot of these uh, DAs that we've got that don't put people in, in jail that break the law. Although we're, it's negative one as of yesterday out in San Francisco. They got rid of one of them out there. Man, was he bad. But the bottom line is is that Billy Mack wants to talk to you. He'll come out to, to your home or one of his representatives, and they're going to talk to you about protecting your home, the security of your house, the security of your castle that uh, you can do, or the security of your business, security of your church, whatever it is that you're looking to secure and set up and make sure that uh, it's not easily broken into. And uh, he's going to do a deal for you. You're going to pay for the service, but you will not have to pay for the hardware. 
Hardware is put in for free of charge, and you get to keep it. And uh, it's a good price. I'm just telling you. I had it put into my – I had Billy Mac come out to my house uh, a little over now a month and a half. I'm very happy with the, how it works. It does it does its job. It does it right. Uh, once I arm uh, my system, I'm not worried about anybody breaking in my house. It's going to make all kinds of noise, and, and it you – know, the only thing it doesn't do, it doesn't shoot fireworks up, all right, when somebody breaks in my house. makes a lot of noise, though. brings uh, attention uh, to my home, which I, my neighbors know about. And uh, if somebody broke in my house, uh, my system would call the cops. My system will call me, and uh, I'll know. And somebody will be there shortly. Just hang around. We'll be there to put you in cuffs. But uh, Billy Max says he'll do this for you. You can get the door and uh, the uh, window sensors for your home or your business. Uh, you can get uh, the cameras, as many as you want, uh, for your home or your business. These are 1080Ps. They're very, very clear. I mean, really clear. You can make out faces and all of that. It's like watching direct TV when you watch these cameras. And all you got to do is call him. Call him at 501-205-1333. And remember that you're going to pay for the service, but not the hardware. That's Billy Mack and the good folks at ICU Protection. All right, back with you. Dave Ellswick Show. It's 621 in the morning. There's going to be rain moving through the area. Uh, During the day, sometimes it's going to be very, very heavy rain. So be aware that if you're out on the road and that starts happening, excuse me, uh, you're going to need to slow down. Please don't be driving like 75, 80 miles an hour out on 67 and the rain is coming down like it's being poured out of a boot. You know, you don't want to do that. It's dangerous. Saw that myself last week. Uh, I forget whether it was Thursday or Friday. When it was pouring down rain, I think it was Thursday, and uh, some guy in an SUV was driving crazed and came up the uh, outside lane, and he had to be doing 80, 85 miles an hour. Everybody else was doing about 55 because it was raining so hard. It was one of those when you turn your wipers all the way up on high, you still can't see really good, and uh, that's what was happening. And I don't know if he bumped the car if he just startled the driver or if the driver uh, of this other car was also going too fast and hydroplaned. But anyway, they they left that far lane. I couldn't see what exactly happened because other cars were in my way. And this uh, sedan took off across uh, three lanes of traffic right before Redmond. And, I mean, they made a left turn right there in that far lane and came all the way across. 67. Luckily, they didn't hit anybody else. Everybody else just took their foot off the gas. I mean, everybody just slowed down real fast when they start seeing this car, you know, fishtailing all over the place. And you could tell that they were fighting to get control, but there was no way they were going to get control back of this car. And they went, I'm going to say they were doing 65-70 when they hit the median wall there. Head on. I mean, head on and that car just exploded just exploded i when when he hit i was i guess a tape measure 10 feet from him i mean i was close i was in the inside lane i was really close 
I didn't, I no gas, and I eased past him, a car in back of me and a tow truck both stopped. So um, they were, were they were helping the folks out. They were in that car. Um, I'm sure uh, that person was hurt just be by watching the kinetic energy that was unleashed in that in that in that wreck. But that can happen to you in a in a in an instant, a heartbeat. Slow down when it's raining hard like that. Please do that. Like I said, just by the grace of God, that car didn't hit other cars. I mean, it went across all of 67 and didn't hit anybody. And uh, it was like 2 o'clock in the afternoon when that happened. So a lot of cars out there just happened to miss everybody. All right, we were talking before we took the break. uh, Responsible gun ownership. That's going to be the new buzz line. And what is responsible gun ownership? Here's the problem with that that particular uh, saying. Everybody that owns guns has a different definition of what is responsible gun ownership. I could sit down with my buddies and ask them what that is, and all of them probably would have a different way of uh measuring responsible gun ownership many of them would say you know i keep my all my firearms in a safe when i'm when i get when i'm at home they're locked up nobody can get to them others would say like myself you know what a gun is only as good as when you can get it in your hand all right and if somebody's kicking in my door i don't want to have to run somewhere else stand in front of a safe and, uh, you know, punch in a code or or spin the dial for a code or put my hand against it biometrically and get it or read my retina or whatever I got to get into my gun safe. I don't want to have to do that. I want to put my hand on my firearm quickly because it's only good for protection if it's in my hand and I can use it. Now, to me, that's responsible gun ownership. That way I can protect my family. I can protect my property, although some people think that you shouldn't protect your property. If somebody breaks into your house and they just want to take your stuff, let them take it. I don't live with that kind of thought process, but there's people who believe that. That, uh, you know, somebody's trying to steal your car, you can buy another car. Easy for you to say. You're not uh, you're not living on my paycheck, okay? I'm just telling you. I probably could buy another car, but then I couldn't do a whole lot of other things that I want to do. So I fix my car. But the bottom line, my my car, like my horse, if I lived in the Old West back in the 1800s, would have been very important to me. And back then, they used to hang horse thieves because a horse was so important. So anyway, what does responsible gun ownership mean that's what you you got to find that out from these politicians who are now you know talking about well look uh, maybe we need to tighten up uh background checks how how are you going to tighten them up what does that mean uh we need to have red flag laws do we What's a red flag law do? You know, 
Can they take your guns away before you stand in front of a judge? Or before somebody brings evidence that uh, you're a menace to society and you should give up your, your guns? They're going. I'm just telling you. I want you to just listen as politicians begin talking now, as they're working towards this agreement that they're they're saying that they're trying to reach between the House and the Senate and the Republicans and the Democrats. And you're going to hear that terminology: responsible gun ownership. First thing that should come out of your mouth when you hear that is define it. What is responsible gun ownership? Does it mean like Biden has said, we got to get rid of AR-15s? Is that responsible gun ownership? Is it responsible gun ownership that you get rid of 9 millimeters too, which the president doesn't understand why any law-abiding a person would ever want to have a 9 millimeter handgun uh, because it's such a high-capacity handgun. Remember, I've always said, you got to know what they mean. You need to know the semantics of what people are saying because they may be saying the same words you are, but they may be talking out of a completely different dictionary. Keep that in mind. All right, we got news. We got to get to that. Then we're going to talk to uh, a uh, author, Jonathan Katherman, raising them right, getting your kids ready to launch. We'll talk about it next. All right, back with you. We move into a uh, segment now. We're going to do an interview with uh, Jonathan Katherman. Uh, he is a best-selling author. He and his wife run an organization. We'll talk a little bit about that in a moment. She's written some books as well. And they have a new book out that they've co-authored called Raising Them Ready, Practical Ways to Prepare Your Kids for Life on Their Own. It's interesting, Jonathan, that you come up today to be part of my show because yesterday Matthew McConaughey was standing in the briefing room of the White House talking to the press and uh, when they were talking about guns and he said that one of the things that we had to get back to was family values. Now that's kind of a loaded term just like responsible gun ownership is a a loaded term and uh, but you kind of waded into this minefield to talk about that. What what led you and your wife to write this book? Well, Dave, we believe that family values begin, as anybody should say, at home. But one of the biggest things that a home needs to do is prepare their kids to be confident and capable in any demand of life faces them, whether it's at home or when they step out on their own. So when Eric and I have two adulting age kids and one of them is getting ready to leave, we're like, okay, it's our responsibility to make sure that we've kind of covered all the bases. We literally created a list. Did we prep them up right? We found there were a couple things on the list we'd left off. So we backtracked a minute and a half and got those uh, those items covered. But we realized talking to friends and colleagues, they're like, man, we need that list because our kids are about ready to go too. We don't know if they're ready or not. And having our kids ready to to be willing and able to take on the demands of the world is part of the responsibility of a parent. Yeah, how do we define they're, they're responsible and they're ready? How, what do you look for in your children? Because you talk about this book is for uh, a, a family that has a 2-year-old up to a 22-year-old. 
Right. Okay. So willing enables what we're looking for here. So you know, it, there's age and ability appropriate skills and tasks that kids can do in the home. And it's not about being a taskmaster as a parent, but it's about we don't want to just coddle our kids into a place where they're not responsible for anything. And so when we're tired of looking at kids who are, are there moving around, they're doing their thing, they're playing, it's okay as a young child to start helping mom and dad put away toys to help clean up, to be part of responsibilities with pets. And even if the activity doesn't seem like it's very productive, they're still there practicing. And, and practice makes better. It doesn't make perfect. But as our kids mature and they get a little older into their tween, teens, and, and early 20s, we have to make sure that, that willing and able is part of their makeup. And willing is a, a mindset thing. Able is skill sets and tool sets. And as parents, we need to address all three. And if they're willing and able, then they're prepared or they're ready. If they're not willing or not able, they're not prepared and they're not ready. And the really fascinating thing about it is a willing and able mind takes on the demands of the world as challenges, whereas an unwilling or unable mind takes on the demands of the world as threats. And we thrive in challenges, but we survive in threats. Okay, so for parents that are out there and they're listening to this, first of all, you know, Jonathan is a sociologist. He's an educator. He's a best-selling author. Uh, this is the field that he's decided to use his talents in, along with his wife as a as co-founder and and uh, and co-author of this book, Raising Them Ready. By the way, that's available at bookstores and on you know the internet right now. You can go out and pick it up. But uh, you talk about nature and nurture, and that that's talked about a lot. Uh, and people may not use those exact words, but they, you know, your kid is, you know, kind of born that way. They have propensity to be, you know, uh, real energetic or not real energetic and things of that nature uh, or nurture things that you're teaching your children. Uh, like I, I finally, after I had my third child, I, I've raised eight and I've got 13 grandkids and I don't make them call me general anymore. And... Um, <laughs> You know, I, I learned a little bit of, of stuff along the way. But how important is nurture more important than nature? It really is. Nature is the way we are dna and it, it defines many of our interests and our talents. Talents being the natural reoccurring patterns of thought, feeling, and behavior that can be positively applied. So if you have a child who's naturally athletic or naturally curious or naturally interested and in, in capable of playing instruments, that would be nature. Nurture is the environment we create around them to help them discover and become all they're created to be. And the nurture allows us to develop our kids in growth. So I don't mean by natural growth, like, you know, they're just getting taller without any effort, but that growth mindset. When we have a fixed mindset, then we see our kids as, well, that's the way they are. They're never going to change. Whereas a growth mindset says, oh, man, look at who they are and how they're discovering and changing so much. It's not that I want to shape them or form them into what I want for them. That's one of the worst things a parent can do is try to create a mini-me version of themselves. You know, certainly they're going to be a better athlete than I was, especially if we try hard enough. We don't want that. We want to, we want to discover the uniqueness of each of our kids and help nurture them into that space so they can discover and become all God created them to be. Yeah, you know, I mean, our goal is to get to the point where, you know, when you go fishing, a lot of people like to catch and release. Well, I like to catch and release. My thing is, though, it's catch and release into hot oil because I like to eat the fish that I catch. But the, the, the big thing is, as parents, 
do you have to sit down before you even decide to have a child, which is the best way to do this, or maybe you just find out you come home from work and the wife says, hey, look, it's blue, and it says plus, uh, we're going to be mommy and daddy. Then you got to get together and come up with a plan that you all want to follow, and then you have to decide when you believe a child is ready for that release. Is that correct? Well, we know one thing we're certain of, that that you shouldn't raise kids without a plan, but no plan to raise kids goes well. You know, so it's, it's it, because it's nothing, <laughs> everything true. changes, right? And, and we've got to be flexible as parents also. And I would encourage you to, instead of saying that we're going to do this and then that and then the following thing, instead look at who you are as a parent, what kind of a parent you are. And, and I know you're joking about, I don't know my kids call me general anymore, but what we do want to avoid is being the kind of parent that's an authoritarian, because those are literally called drill sergeant parents, where you're going to do it this way because I said so. We're sticking to the plan. And there's, there's really, there's four parenting styles. And one of the most damaging is that authoritarian parent, but there also struggles for any kid to get in along in a family is that indifferent parent. Like, I don't care, you're just going to do it, do it anyway. You know, or that indulgent parent. Sure thing, sweetie, here, let's do it, anything you want. Now, those are those are the spaces that we tend to spoil our kids in. Where we want to avoid the indifferent, the indulgent, the authoritarian parent, we do want to be the kind of parent that if you're going to make a plan, be the authoritative parent. That's a parent that has high expectations of their kids, but high responsiveness to the child's needs. I know you can do this, and here's why. The trick here is defining what a need and a want is with your kids, because you know anybody who's had kids that that have seen anything online ever know that they what they've heard the phrase, I need this, I need that's this right. I need to buy this. No, no, that's what a want is. When we're looking at our kids, we say, look, I know you have great potential, and I'm going to help you discover that. I'm going to instruct you. I'm going to guide you. I'm going to counsel you. I'm going to do these parts as a parent that recognize that you're different than your brother or sister. You're different in the order. You're different in the structure of our family. You're very unique. I have high expectations, but high response to who you are. That would be the authoritative parent. That's your parenting plan. So the goal is is your goal that the child wants, and I don't know how to put this because it can be taken wrong, that they want to please you because they, they, they want that, that belief that you have in them offered to them? Is that the way you want a parent? In a way, yes, we want our kids to not necessarily just please us because they want our approval. Right. We want to say that, that they they believe that we see as parents their greatest potential. There you and go. So they okay. in turn see their greatest potential also. What we're talking about here is what we call self-efficacy. And you want to have a child with high self-esteem. The problem with a kid with high self-esteem is they really think high of themselves. Whereas a child who has high self-efficacy believes greatly in themselves but because they've proven it as well. Ah, very so good. Yes, yeah, so you, you don't want to just be, I'm, I'm awesome, I'm great, I'm the best. You're like, man, my kid's got self, great self-esteem. But then they can't actually fulfill. Self-efficacy takes self-esteem and fulfillment, blend them together you have self-efficacy. And, and when we as parents believe in our kids, our kids will act with high self-efficacy and don't mix that up or they're doing it to please me. No, they're doing it because they believe in themselves and we're pleased with them. 
Name of the book, Raising Them Ready, Practical Ways to Prepare Your Kids for Life on Their Own. Jonathan Katherman is our guest right now. His wife, Erica, is still sleeping. Good for her. Um, and I don't blame her because I would still be sleeping if I wasn't going to be here. And uh, we're going to come back. And I want to talk a little bit about what you just said because we've leaned one way too far, I believe, in our society. Like when you don't keep score of ball games and things of that nature and kids think real high of themselves, but they don't have a reason for why they think high of themselves. We'll get back and talk about that here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Let me remind you about uh, Pat Davis. He's going to be on tomorrow on the show. He's going to be in the 9 o'clock hour. You won't want to miss it. And he's going to explain to you how he can save you 30 to 50% on your health insurance. He's going to let you learn how he can take who you have as your provider, you can have any provider in the nation, and using the way that he does health insurance, say you can save 30 to 50%. You can get rid of the co-pays. You can get rid of the high deductibles. There's way of, ways of doing that. So uh, we'll do our consumer segment tomorrow uh, during the last hour of the show and uh, try to teach myself and you how to save money when it comes to health insurance. You call Pat Davis, he'll work with you individually at uh, 501-605-6935 or visit him online, yourhealthplanman.com. Back with you, Jonathan Katherman is our guest, raising them ready, practical ways to prepare your kids for life on their own. I'm going to give away my copy of this book at the end of the half hour. And we'll make it available to you. You'll just have to call in. But wait for me to tell you to call. Don't start calling now. I'll tell you when to call. You call. We'll give the book away to you. And I got to tell you, I haven't read it cover to cover. I've read some different areas of the uh, the book. I uh, am impressed. I want to talk to him about his organization as well before we get done here. But I want to go back to what we were talking about, about children with with good, uh, you know, esteem. But not false esteem. And there's a lot of kids that are out there now have high, high esteem. For instance, uh, they go to school and uh, teachers let them take tests over again. And they end up with really high marks and high grade point averages. And they go to college and it's like, uh, you know, they're, they're stuck. Uh, you've got kids that not only have high, uh, high esteem, they also have high uh, entitlement feelings. Well, I deserve that because it's me. I deserve that because I'm. Look at what I've I've done, which typically is nothing. And, and with that in mind, how do you keep that from happening, Jonathan? What we're trying to avoid is what you're discussing is the helicopter effect, and 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 it's where parents or or people who have a, a role in a child's life hover over them and make sure that no pain or, or no suffering or no struggle is, is pressing down upon them. And, and that's really just not fair to your kids because the reality is you're not building any form of resilience into a child when we hover over them and don't allow them to struggle. What we've got is a, a problem where we, we don't want our kids to fail, but we've misunderstand, we're misunderstanding what failure means. Failure doesn't mean not winning. And, and it, it's, it's, when kids don't win, it doesn't mean they failed. 
you know, first, second, third place, fine, give them a trophy. After that, take them out to ice cream. In fact, take them out to ice cream after every ball game, after every music recital, after um, once a week on the way home from school, just because that's what we do as a family, not because it's a reward. So we don't want to have kids who have, have high self-esteem but no resilience. And because life requires you to have a resilient mindset. And resilient kids fall down too. The difference is when they fall, they fall forward because they expect that when they get up, they're going to do and be better. Hmm. That's, that's, that's some good advice there. really, really is. Let's talk about your uh, organization. Uh, you and your wife uh, run an organization called 1M, if I'm not mistaken, 1M Mentoring Foundation. What's that all about? 1M Mentoring Foundation is uh, about building mentoring and mentoring resources. So our goal is to provide mentoring resources for a million young people around the world. And we've written other books, The Manual to Manhood and The Girl's Guide to Conquering Life. We have men and women in the making club resources that are free online at our website, either at thecathermans.com or at 1mmentoring.org. And it's really about group mentoring. It's used in schools. It's used in community groups. It's used in churches. Uh, we get, it's hilarious, we get uh, you know, emails and content from, from schools in, in China and South America and North, you know, Canada and the U.S. and Mexico. And we're like, wow, I had no idea we had clubs there. And really what we're just providing is what the mentors need so they don't have to uh, reinvent the wheel or start from scratch. So with life skills and character trait mentoring developed for groups, so two or three adults can mentor 8, 10, 12 young people at once, and it has that group affinity, and they're really sharpening those life skills and character traits they need to succeed. This sounds like it could be used at a church with life groups and uh, working with kids in the church. Is that true? Absolutely. As a former youth pastor, I'm always looking for ways to bring in kids to an opportunity that's just not, hey, let's go to church. But really what you're doing is you're bringing these kids in, they show that you care. And we know that kids, um, when they see that we care about them, then they care what we know. So this is a wonderful experience to show, you know, the seventh grader who's got a Twizzler growing outside his face, well, he's going to really benefit from that how to shave session or um, doing some basic skills and when it comes to cooking or even learning how to shake hands and talk to adults these are really life basic skills but they're also built on a scaffolding effect so you build as you go so they're learning how to do basic skills to start with and by time the mentoring sessions wrapping up at the end of say a year they've really mastered some important harder skills but built out over time all right. Well, Jonathan, uh, we got one last question for you, then I'll let you go this morning and you get back to that dark coffee and reading that you do early, mm-hmm. early in the morning. Let me ask you, I, I started with Matthew McConaughey. Let me end with Matthew McConaughey. He did a movie called Failure to Launch. Uh, when you have a kid that's having those problems, what do you do with them? Well, it's failure to launch was not 14 years old. Let's say it's 24 years old. Yeah. And we, there's kids that are, that are still sofa surfing at mom and dad's house and expect meals and, and laundry. We need to start pulling that back. And this is about not age. It's about maturity. And so if you've got a child in your home that's failing to launch, what we're really doing is we're, we're, we're doing for them what they should and could do for themselves. And maybe they should but at the current time, they don't know how. So this is the time to start teaching our kids how to do anything. In fact, this isn't just when they're 24. It starts when they're young, when they're four. Engage your kids, involve them in the process, and as they mature, then we 
allow them to do more and more for themselves. Because that goes back to where we're talking about early, building the self-efficacy into our kids, where we have a scaffolding around them rather than ladders or elevators to the top. So if you have a failing to launch kids still at home, don't do for them what they should and could do for themselves. Do with them and then release them to do for themselves. All right. Release them. Catch, release. But uh, sometimes you got to catch, release, and let them out into the hot oil, too. That's the way you learn. All right. We, we appreciate you, Jonathan. Thank you so much for your time and uh, your uh, information today. We look forward to talking to you down the road as well. Thanks, Dave. Have a great day. All right. Bye-bye now. Jonathan and Erica Catherman are the co-authors of Raising Them Ready, Practical Ways to Prepare Your Kids for Life on Their Own. Want the copy I got? Be the first caller. 501-823-0965. That's 501-823-0965. Want a copy of the book? It's all yours if you're the first caller and you get to Heidi first. Hey, don't forget about uh, David Lucas Financial and what uh, he can do for you about gold and silver. You need to know about gold and uh, and silver and, and how to buy it. Uh, everybody knows maybe you need some for your nest egg, but how much? Uh, you can find all of those, uh, have all those questions and get them answered with David Lucas Financial. All you got to do is call them, uh, 501-222-3315. 501-222-3315. And uh, you can learn more about buying uh, silver and gold. Investment advisory services offered through David Lucas Financial and Arkansas Registered Investment Advisor. Again, be the first caller and you walk away with the book, raising them ready and, you know, not having a problem with failure to launch. Bottom line. And then you don't have to worry about your father taking your bedroom and making it into his naked room like Terry Bradshaw did in failure to launch all right got to get a break in top of the hour got to get you some news and then we'll be back and we'll talk with congressman french hill on the dave ellswick show into the second hour we go on the dave ellswick show here at 1011 fm the answer glad you have uh, joined us if you missed uh, the last half hour uh, and you're a parent 
I highly recommend that you go back and listen to the interview that I had with Jonathan Katherman. Great interview. Uh, He's got a new book out with his wife called Raising Them Ready, Practical Ways to Prepare Your Kids for Life on Their Own. You know, how not to have a Matthew McConaughey uh, kid who has a failure to launch like that movie was a few years back. And uh, it's, it's a good book. It really is. It's a, and, a, and a good book for uh, new parents and older parents and for kids at any age as you're raising them at two years old or 17 years old. And maybe you're not seeing the maturity level that you think you should be seeing uh, from your child to get ready for you know, life's challenges. This book gives you some some hints and some uh, ideas for how to help your child attain uh, th- that ability to get out there and, and get at it. All right, let's move on to uh, talking with uh, Congressman French Hill. He's joining us now. He's, uh, of course, uh, uh, there in Washington. He's dealing with uh, a lot of the stuff that's going on up there. Let's talk about gun control uh Real fast here, Congressman Matthew McConaughey, who I just referenced, was at the press conference yesterday uh, at the White House, had some good things to say. Uh, I, I'm concerned that he there's a buzz phrase that uh, he's using that people have to be careful of. And let me just ask your opinion. Responsible gun ownership. I mean, what does that mean? It means something different to a whole lot of people, depending on their thought process, correct? Yeah, no doubt. Morning. Good to be with you, Dave. Yeah. Uh, look, I think uh, all of us who've grown up around firearms for target shooting or hunting or self-defense or anything know that, gosh, owning a gun's a big responsibility. No doubt about it. So when people say you ought to have responsible uh, handling of firearms, gosh, we all learn that on the range. We learn it every time we... Uh, study it or fire it there's so many rules around that so that's one way to think about it yeah the other way if it has some public policy mentality you're right the devil's in the details on all these things that's the challenge with all this and it's also uh there are so many laws governing firearms now that i don't believe are even enforced adequately and that's been a big issue so uh yes congress is certainly debating these issues this week both in the house and the senate I think Matthew McConaughey brought up, you know, uh, his perspective to it in a very emotional, very sincere presentation. And I think that's what a lot of families are talking about this week. And I've heard from a lot of constituents in Arkansas about it. Yeah, but the, the, the problem is, does your idea of responsible gun ownership mean that somebody else has to give up their rights, Correct. No, I mean, that's exactly what, that's why I say on the public policy context, that means that's where the devils are in the details. I think when people say you ought to handle firearms responsibly, own firearms responsibly, I think we all agree that that's what we all do when we own firearms. It's a very, you know, uh, dangerous situation. You ought to treat them safely in your home. You ought to treat them safely in your car, safely on your person. So I think about it as a a kid who grew up with... uh, you know, uh, learning about guns uh, through uh, RO, junior ROTC in high school and through hunting uh, with uh, friends and responsibility and handling that firearm was just drilled into our brains. But in a public policy context, that means a lot of things to a lot of people, and you're absolutely right about that. 
All right, so what's going on in the House? I mean, what I understand in the House, everybody's been talking about the Senate. You know, the Republicans and the Democrats are playing yeah. nice with each other and whatever. Uh, yeah. the, the Democrats aren't playing nice with the Republicans in the House. They're just telling you take it or leave it. Yeah, this is, again, unfortunate. There's, I'm sure, things that you could have worked on, a uh, set of common-sense bipartisan things in the, in the House as well and had a, a longer, more thoughtful debate. But that's not what uh, Nancy Pelosi's proposed to do. She's proposing a, a federal red flag law. Uh, she is proposing, which we've got copies of now this week. People are looking at it. This was committee work uh, that was done in the Jerry Nadler Judiciary Committee last week. Oh, uh, boy. They voted those. Yeah, that's that's like a, talk about a red flag law. Uh <laughs> That's obviously a red flag if he's in charge of anything. Uh, these bills came out of that committee on a party line vote, you know. So these are, for the most part, all party line votes. So she is proposing a federal red flag law. I have not had a finished reading it to understand, for example, the whole due process issue, which I think is critical in those issues. And then she's proposing, uh, Dave, I guess just the usual laundry list she's got a um she does raise she proposes raising the uh, uh semi-automatic center rifle or semi-automatic center fire shotgun with a capacity exceeding five to 21 she has a, an age increase in it she tries to re-litigate straw purchases of firearms, which you know right now are already illegal under federal That's law. That's right. Not buy a gun for somebody else and give it to them, skirting the background check. She has a bill on there that does that. She has a, uh, requires all firearms are traceable, meaning this is the ghost gun issue. She has a provision on that. <laughs> she says that um, everybody ought to have uh she wants grants for safe firearms storage, which I guess she's dictating how you store your guns in your house. I'm not sure about that. Um, she has a rulemaking, uh, a, a provision about bump stocks, which, you know, President Trump dealt with. And uh, I supported that after Las Vegas. President Trump put it in place. She has some provision there, again, that I, I can't tell the difference yet with what she's proposing, with what Congress has already uh, and DOJ already done there. I think it seems redundant. And what? she caps uh, magazines, which time and time again the federal courts have ruled to be unconstitutional. So, so what is she saying anything about uh, getting rid of uh, uh, the, uh, the the law that has been passed to protect gun uh, makers that they can't be sued because somebody uses a gun uh, in a way that. The gun's not made to be used. I mean, they're not made to go out and kill people willy-nilly. I mean, that's not why guns are made. No, I mean, this is exactly what I'm talking about. She doesn't have a single provision that talks about manufacturer liability. She doesn't have a single provision about helping schools. She doesn't have a single provision about mental health access. Uh, she doesn't have any provisions that improve uh, the NICS, the background check integrity of that system, other than a study. We're just, again, as I say, she went down just a very partisan, uh, some that will have bipartisan support, I'm sure, if they were voted on individually, you know, some things. 
But it's a very partisan list that came out of the committee, as I say, on the party line vote. So she's not taking the tack that uh, some in the Senate are saying they're taking. We've seen no action in the Senate, so I don't know how that's going. But yeah. anyway, we're in the midst of it. But we're not dealing with the fundamental issue about, uh, you know, uh, guns on the street illegally, guns in the hands of criminals illegally. We're not dealing with mental health access to our kids or to adults. We're not dealing with, again, things that can better help schools. And when Republicans were in charge of uh, the Congress, you know, we passed uh, ways to in, uh, in put more integrity in the NICS system. Like if you were a federal government agency and you failed to report somebody that should be in the background check system, you paid a price for that. We gave them money to make sure they kept it up to date. Uh, the same for states who don't report people who should be in the system. Right. Um, and we supported uh, best practices to help schools improve their safety and access controls. All right. So uh, I want to go back and because it wasn't real clear and the way, way you yeah. answered, it sounded like perhaps you support it. You do not support the ability to, to sue gun makers, correct? No. Okay. Because it can, no, I, yeah, the I, way that you she, phrased she it sounded you might have. No, I thought you asked me if she had any provisions in the bill pro or con gun makers, you know, that she's proposing. And I, I just was trying to answer no, she doesn't. Okay. She doesn't deal with that. All right. No, so. Arkansas is blessed that uh, we've been recruiting, uh, you know, ammunition and gun manufacturers. I'm so thrilled the Remington plant's back open in Lone Oak, and I helped uh, recruit Sig Sauer into Jacksonville. So, um no, I don't support that. Okay. Well, I just wanted to make sure. sure you know, yeah. It just it just wasn't really – I wanted to make it crystal clear because somebody somewhere would pulled it out oh, and yeah. used it. I'm just saying. It's, we, we know that. We've seen it happen. All right. When we come back, let's, uh, let's talk about gas because gas yesterday, the average price in Arkansas was $4.47 a gallon. One year ago today – it was $2.76 a gallon in Arkansas. We'll talk about that with the congressman when we get back here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Don't forget about PI Roofing. They're ready to take care of your roof for you. Uh, Joel and uh, Veronica Johnson, the owners, good Christian folks. I'm just telling you, they'll treat you right. They have me over now the 18, 19 years that I've owned my home out in Cabot. The only people that I trust to work on my roof is PI Roofing. They've come out and they've fixed small leaks. They've fixed big leaks. They've uh, re-roofed my house twice during the time that I've owned it. And they can do the same thing for you. Let me give you the number to call. It's 501-707-3551. That's the number I call. You call it as well. You'll get the same great service that I get. I mean, that number is not like the number to the Batcave. This is the number that everybody uses, 501-707-3551. Or if you want to do it online, you can do it there, too. Go to piroofing.com. What kind of family she wanted. She said, a family like yours. Learn more about adopting a teen at AdoptUSKids.org. You can't imagine the reward. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt US Kids, and the Ad Council. Back with you, Dave Ellswick Show, our guest uh, for the rest of this half hour, Congressman French Hill District 2. By the way, I 
uh, forgot to congratulate you. This is the first time we've talked since the uh, primary. Congratulations on uh, winning your primary and moving on to the general election. And we hope we can get you reelected and get you back up in the uh, the Congress and uh, take over Congress with the Republican Party. You bet. Thanks for that. You know, I'm, I want to see that happen. All right, let's talk about gas. I gave you some some figures there. Nationally, yeah. the national average is four ninety five a gallon. Here in Arkansas, it was four forty seven. Last week, it was four nineteen. And a year ago today, it was $2.76. And the president says, hey, look, we under, I, I feel your pain. we got to have more oil. So I'm going to talk to that pariah of a country, Saudi Arabia, and I'll talk to those despots in Venezuela. And, but he didn't say anything about talking to American oil producers. Seems counter counterintuitive to me. They have been wrong on this since January 20th, 2021. I mean, Biden campaigned on ending fossil fuels. He went around at rallies bragging about it. He wants to end them and end them today because he thinks that's uh, how you solve climate change. It's a dumb, ignorant, economically and energy scientifically illiterate position. But he's stuck with it right on through the war, right on through uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine. He's stuck with it. But this all starts with day one of his administration when he canceled Keystone and laid off 500 people out at the port in Little Rock and hurt people building pipelines all over the country by not acknowledging that they need to be built. It's the safest way to transport oil and gas. He hadn't done any permits there. He hadn't encouraged any leasing on federal lands, even though Congress passed a law to allow uh, exploration on a teeny tiny part of Alaska, something that's been worked on 30 years. He canceled that. He's proposed $145 billion in new taxes on oil and gas production. And he has his regulatory czars at the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission, and the bank regulators intimidating banks and investment companies from allocating capital. Can you, can you talk oil and gas? Congressman, can you talk about that a little bit? I don't think that's not been reported hardly at all. Can you talk about that? You bet. So to the man with a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And for Joe Biden, every policy, every cabinet agency is about climate change. I don't care what the topic is. It all revolves around climate. Russia invades Ukraine. Well, that's okay, but we need Russia's help on the climate change. So... Over at the SEC, Gary Gensler is the chairman of the SEC. He's issued a regulation that requires all public companies to have all this expensive, unnecessary, uh, I believe, illegally proposed climate disclosure, which is going to intimidate oil and gas companies and other companies from using fossil fuels because of the way Gary Gensler proposes that they have to disclose it. Over on the bank side... You have uh, you remember Operation Choke Point, yes. where during the Obama administration they tried to prohibit uh, banks from lending money to gun dealers or to help any legal businesses that they just didn't like. And there was even a list of businesses they didn't like that were fully legal. They're proposing the same kind of intimidation uh, now by saying, "Are you concerned? You have too much, too many loans to oil and gas businesses. Aren't you afraid?" 
that they won't be able to pay you back? Aren't you afraid that those assets will be stranded because no one will need oil and gas in the future? I mean, this is madness. First of all, these are legal businesses. Secondly, we're going to use oil and gas and coal for decades in the world. It has to be mined, produced, protected, and stored. And we're not turning the switch to non-fossil fuel use uh, anytime soon. But the Biden policies assume we're turning it on tomorrow and ending the use of gas and oil. And isn't that dumb? And isn't it made more dumb? in the face of everyone watching television about what's happening in Europe right now and at their own gas pump prices. Here, we're over $6 here in Washington, D.C. for regular. Wow. Wow. Well, I, I just, I don't get it. I watched Yellen yesterday in that committee meeting on, on uh, C-SPAN, and, man, she's doing nothing more than parroting the uh, uh, the politics of the Biden administration. She doesn't show a, uh, an individual original idea in her, grain, her uh, gray brain cells at all. And Dave, let me tell you, that's humiliating for her. Humiliating. She's a macroeconomist. She was president of the San Francisco Federal Reserve. She was chairman of the Federal Reserve Board of Governors. She's taught economics. She has a Ph.D. and she's spewing nonsense in these meetings and it's got to be she must go home and i don't know if she has a dog or what but something's got to let her get her frustrations out uh because what she is spewing is economic illiterate nonsense and she knows it and that's got to be humiliating for her well if people think that she's acting the 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 stupid person if the shoe fits wear it and if your job is that important to you and you're willing to sell your soul for it then uh, wear it on both feet, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, well, her testimony was ridiculous yesterday. Oh, it was. And, and it's, she's got more today. She's going to the Ways and Means Committee in the House today, so there'll be part two today. All right. Well, listen, we appreciate you coming on today. And we'll do it, uh, we'll do it again next week. Uh, of course, Congressman French Hill here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Glad to have him here and talking about what's going on there in Washington. And, you know, it, it it's kind of like watching the Titanic sinking for the Democrat Party, to be honest. And the old sa- saying going, the, the, the ship is sinking and you're rearranging the chairs on the deck so that uh, later on you can catch the sun. Uh, it it it's it's ridiculous what they're doing right now. Hey, coming up after the, uh, Bill O'Reilly, that's coming up here at the bottom of the hour. Uh, we'll come back, talk a little bit about uh, East End Towing, and we're going to have an interview uh, with uh, Congressman uh, Bruce Westerman. I want to talk to him about school choice uh, some because that seems to be looking like a very hot topic for next year in the uh, – the legislature here in Arkansas, and uh, I want to get some of his take on it because back in 2010, you remember, he was really pushing it and got really slapped down because he was pushing it, and people just weren't on board with it. There's a, a third change going on, a one-third change going on in the House and the state Senate, and I'm hoping that uh, the change will bring us school choice 
uh, the way that Bruce won it, which is the money follows the student. The student can take it wherever he wants or his parents want uh, to put him in school. And uh, perhaps that will ignite uh, churches and others to uh, open schools and we can get back to education the way it was supposed to be with reading, writing, and uh, arithmetic uh, being taught to the, to the children and not taking them to, you know, uh, I don't know, men's club where the guys are dressing up like women. Hey, if you ever need a, a tow, let me highly recommend East End Towing. Uh, because, look, they belong to the Arkansas Tow and Recovery Board. Uh, they're licensed. They're insured on all their tow operations. Uh, every truck is permitted, has minimum standards that they meet uh, to make sure that uh, when they take care of your car from getting them off the side of the highway or your trailer or whatever, it's done uh, in the way it should be done and done in a safe way that it should be done. And no matter the situation you might be finding yourself in, East End Towing can handle it. They've got the answers for you. I was driving uh, down uh, 430 the other day, and I passed a pickup truck on the side of it. It said East End uh, Towing uh, Road Service, and they're the people that come out there, and maybe it's a battery that's gone bad at your house or whatever, and your car won't start, they'll show up and help you uh, get going that morning. Call East End Towing. They're available to you easily by calling 501-888-8849. That's 501-888-8849. All right, let's get to uh, talking with our other congressman in District uh, 4 here, and that is Bruce Westerman. He's going to join us. We're going to talk to him uh, about some of the same things we talked to uh, with Congressman Hill, but uh, a couple of other topics that uh, I told Bruce that I'd like to I'd like to touch base on. But let's start off with the first one that is on everybody's lips today because of Matthew McConaughey showing up at the presidential briefing at the White House yesterday for the media and uh, McConaughey getting up there and giving an impassioned and a very emotional uh, appeal about how to deal with guns here in America and uh, you know, he's an actor, uh, Congressman. He did what actors do. They did. He did a good job of standing in front of people and, and, and putting uh, a, a very difficult uh, situation into, you know, bite-sized bits that people uh, can, can consume. And yesterday he used a term that we hear a lot of, and I asked Congressman Hill about this, and people have to be afraid. You know, you gotta, I'm not going to say afraid. Just be aware of it. You're going to hear from people from the left who want some of the most draconian gun laws, and they're going to say what people, some of the people on the right are saying when they say responsible gun ownership and you got to know what these people think when they're saying that correct make sure we got the congressman i'm I'm here dave okay uh yeah i wonder who wrote that script for him or if he he came up with that but i guess that's beside the point they are you know i I call it speaking in memes they put the little talking points out and Mm -hmm. try to make the case without really having a sound argument behind it and yeah, you got to be careful when they start using terms like responsible gun ownership, and they're going to tell you what what that is and how you got to a, 
Uh, you know, one of the things they got in the bill that we'll be voting on this week is how you have to keep all your guns locked up in a certain kind of uh, safe at home. So wow. you know, they're they're going to try to tell you how to how to store your guns at at home. I guess uh, you can go do the combination in the middle of the night when somebody's breaking into your house. You know, that, I, this is so funny because we talked about it in the very first half hour of the show. I mentioned this uh, about responsible gun ownership and, and and that term and how loaded it is and how you got to make sure you're talking out of the same dictionary with people who use it. And because somebody might say, I lock all of my guns up. Another person say, I like I, I lock up my long rifles or whatever. You know what? I've got two handguns at my house along with a lot of other guns. And the two handguns are placed strategically in my home that it won't take me longer than about 15 seconds to get to them so that I can put it in my hand in case somebody kicks my door in. I don't want them in a safe. Yeah, that's, uh, uh, you know, I keep some hunting rifles in a safe that I'm going to get out once a year or a few times a year. Uh, But I've got some others that are easy to get to. And I don't need somebody from the government tell me what I need to do with firearms inside my home. Um, and, you know, the, the bottom line is they are doing what they always do. They're taking a very tragic, unfortunate situation and trying to make political hay out of it. Um, I had a chance to visit with Tony Gonzalez yesterday, who uh, Uvalde's in his district. <clears throat> he was... Uh, he he knows a lot of the people um, that were directly affected by this, and he he said the the media um, hit job on this one is is worse than he ever imagined, and the villainization of the police officers down there. Right. Uh, it just it just almost made my blood boil when he was talking about it. Uh, he said that what happens a guy got in the room and locked the door and the. He said everything happened within a couple of minutes, and then the guy was locked inside the room, and all these officers were in the hall, and they they couldn't get the door open. And he said, you know, one of the officers in the hall was a guy off duty in his Crocs and his shorts that came up there, and said his daughter was one of the one of them in the room, and said the guy the the school employee trying to find the the right key to get in the room was also had a child in the room so he said don't believe for a minute they weren't trying to get in there with with everything possible um and you know they're the media is looking for a scapegoat and they're trying to uh really run down the law enforcement folks uh, there in that community and the um he tony told me a whole different story than what i've read in the newspaper and seen on uh, on the network news shows well, maybe I'll talk. Maybe I'll I'll ask you to reach out to him. Maybe we should get him on the show and let him tell that story to our listeners. Yeah, he uh, he possibly would do that. I know he's uh, uh, he's having a really tough time right now um, with with everything that's going on. Oh, I can and imagine. I'm, I'm not going to I'm not going to say everything that he that he he said, but it was horrific. All right. Well, let's jump into something else. Uh, you know, the, the the Speaker of the House wants red flag laws, but she puts a, a word in there that just makes my blood run cold, and that is she wants to federalize red flag laws. 
Well, it's just about to the point of Nancy Pelosi's for it, I'm against it. <laughs> and uh, she's, a, she's a piece of work now. And thank goodness I think she's on her way out. Uh, but she's got a lot of... Uh, She's got a lot of people that don't think she's radical enough waiting in the wings there. And I I just hope the American people see through um, what these folks are doing to our country and get out and vote, vote vote like you've never voted before. We we saw that uh, um, in the number of Republican voters in primaries across the country Mm -hmm. setting records. Um, And I can tell you... uh, I, I can't remember seeing my constituents more fired up about what's what's going on in the country than they are right now. Uh, these fuel prices and inflation, it's affecting everyone. Um, it's, it's not a good thing that's happening in our country right now, and, and but people need to remember uh, the ballot boxes where you change that. Yeah, absolutely. And and let me ask you about the gas prices. Here in Arkansas, the average now, uh, as of yesterday, is $4.47. Last week, it was $4.19. And uh, a year ago, $2.76. I think that we can all say that the president has failed miserably in handling handling uh, oil and fossil fuels in this country yeah and you know to emphasize what the left is is doing i've got a hearing this morning in the natural resources committee this is the committee that has jurisdiction over oil and gas leases on federal lands onshore and offshore um has jurisdiction over mining Uh, you know all the things we need to be focusing on um, I know you'll be surprised to find out, Dave, but our hearing today is on uh, a big cat bill uh, because of uh, that Netflix show. Uh, <laughs> the Tiger Guy. I remember the name of it. Tiger King, yeah. Yeah. And so oh, we're God. we're going to have a, a whole markup. We're going to be marking up a bill uh, to regulate how uh, – cats are handled and i think they're going to have uh you know some of the tiger king characters there and maybe some some actors there it's going to be you know, it's going to be their opportunity to to gain a little bit of publicity you know talking about cats when the rest of the country is concerned about um oil prices and inflation and, and the reason i thought of that you were talking about gas prices i've been working on my opening remarks for that hearing uh-huh. And I was going to I was going to point out the high cost of, of gasoline, and it, it's a moving target. It goes up every day. Yeah, it was, uh, the, the national average yesterday was four ninety one a gallon. Amazing, amazing. So we're going to talk about uh, how to regulate uh, cats. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, last night we were having dinner at my house, and uh, Linda and I were talking. And uh, we were just talking about how sad it is that those tigers are treated so in- inhumanely. 
in those yeah, cages. Sure that was a discussion around everybody's <laughs> dinner table last night. Yeah, we were definitely really, really worried about that. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, let's talk about something else that's out of control, and that's our border. And there's like fifteen or 20,000 people coming to the border. What are the border guards going to do with that kind of a, of a surge? coming their way. We'll talk about it with the congressman when we return here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, back to uh, Congressman Bruce Westerman. And Congressman, there's a huge caravan coming to the United States, and it's of illegal aliens. And last I heard, it was 15,000 people. How's our Border Patrol supposed to keep up with that? Yeah, I've been seeing the the pictures of the, the large caravan coming. They, they can't keep up with it, Dave. And I've seen this uh, the last few times I've been to the border. They The Border Patrol turns into uh, record keepers. They have a uh, um, uh, clipboard with papers on it, and they're just filling out information. It's like somebody checking into the hotel when, the, uh, when all this mass of immigrants come in. And, you know, all they're doing is, shuffling people to buses to processing centers um so they can you know go get all their uh, health checkups and everything and get on airplanes and fly across the country to, to who knows where that's what this administration's uh doing and uh, i i don't see that stopping uh until we somehow are able to affect the funding that the administration is getting in that area and get some oversight and or get another president but that's that's the sad reality of what's happening well the first thing is that when back the uh, the, the capital and in congress and you guys control the purse strings and be able to cut their funding down and uh, you know do things that you can do because we're going to have to wait another two years to get a new president in there and god only help us you know i mean kudlow says on his show every day the calvary is coming uh let's just hope that when they get here there's something to save and i and i agree wholeheartedly with him what what is the end game do you think i mean i know you're not a democrat you're not you know involved in any meetings that where they're talking about this stuff but what's their end game why are they why are they doing this along the border i i don't know i i cannot figure it out they uh um i guess they're convinced somehow that this is the right thing to do that we should just have no borders on our on our country and uh it, it defies logic i've talked to him about it and uh i heard had was with a, a democrat last night who was what i call much more moderate and he was talking about how we need more labor uh, in our country and immigration was the only way we're going to to get the labor that we need wow. so let's do that through legal legal immigration and, and work programs don't just open the border up and let anybody come through uh, you know, they. When I was down there last, they told me they had had people from 151 different countries that had been apprehended along the border, and they're not really apprehended. They just uh, most of them come in, and they're looking for the border patrol agent so they can give them their information to get processed. Now, the ones you got to worry about are the ones that are trying to avoid the border patrol agents. And guess what? If the agents are all uh, taking names and directing people to buses. 
there's a lot of uncovered territory along the border, That's and they're right. having a hard time hiring hiring border agents. So um, we we know what we know, the information that we collect, but what we don't know is the people that are coming in uh, around the border agents, the people that are uh, packing drugs into our country. Uh, if, if forget the uh, the illegal immigrants, just the fact that all the fentanyl, the poison that's coming into our country across the southern border is reason to secure the border. Uh, but uh, it seems to be the furthest thing from this administration's mind. I think isn't uh, isn't the vice president the borders are? Oh yeah, she's not even been there. Not even been there yet. Yeah, she's not been to the to the serious places. Uh, she's been, I guess, to San Diego, and but she didn't even go out and and visit the fence or anything like that. Now she doesn't yeah. know what, and she doesn't know what's going on. But you know, on top of that, and you mentioned it is the fentanyl. Well, the fentanyl is being the the product is being made in China and being shipped into the United States uh, through Mexico. Uh, when are we going to get serious about China about this stuff and say, hey, we're just not going to be able to do as much business as you guys want to do while you're poisoning our people and trying to kill. Well, this administration apparently is not. Uh, you know, the thing that's out this week is Biden's removing all the um, the tariffs and sanctions on um, China so that they can get more solar uh, panels into the United States. So his his response to uh, the energy crisis is to have China make more solar panels for us, uh, which is, is a little bit uh, amusing because the uh, the domestic solar panel manufacturers are all upset with them now uh, because they're allowing the Chinese to come in and undercut the market here in the United States. So uh, they they defy logic. I I, I agree, I've man. Always, always thought I was was creative in thinking about things, but somehow you got to rewire your circuits to think like a Democrat. I got you. Hey, last question for you, Congressman Boudin. The uh, DA out in San Francisco, they got rid of him last night. Uh, they voted him out. Uh, and, uh, you know, he's uh, his parents were part of the Weathermen back in the 60s, and they spent most of their time, most of their life in jail. Uh, he brings he brought their thoughts and, and their actions, uh, not blowing things up, but their thoughts about how things should be ran and brought them to San Francisco, and people want no pro- no, no, nothing to do with all of that crime. What should the Democrats walk away from that election understanding when it's also Democrats that are voting to get these people out of office? Well, I guess there's, they should take away from that that even in the most liberal of bastions, that there's a limit to what people uh, will accept. And, um, you know, maybe they're just going to think that uh, the, the voters didn't know what they were doing last night. Um, but I, I think I think that can be an indicator of what's going to happen across the country uh, come November. That um, you know a lot of people may not be quite as progressive and liberal as they thought they were when they see what real uh, progressivism and socialism uh, where that leads to. I'm with and uh, is is there a case in history where the results have been good? Where, where the results have been good? Uh, for someone who's not in power. Now, 
When we get you back on next week, I'd like to talk to you about uh, school choice. You were one of the biggest proponents of that, I believe, in the uh, uh, Arkansas legislature back in 2010. We want to talk to you about that and about how the money following the student can really change things. And do you believe or do you think that Republicans that now have really solid control uh, of the, uh, the House and the Senate perhaps can move that way. I'd like to get your thoughts on that next week, so I'll give you a whole week to think about it. How's that? That's fine. Now, you won't want, you, you're not wanting an update on Big Cat next week? No, I think we'll pass on the Tiger King. How's that? <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> All right. We thank you. Good notes for you then. All right, Congressman. We thank you a lot. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you next week here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Hey, I'll be back at 9 o'clock. We'll get uh, our uh, favorite author, Nathan Lewis, back from the book Inflation. We're going to talk to him about gold and silver and a whole lot of other things when we return here at 9.05. All right, 9 o'clock. That means we move into another uh, hour of the Dave Ellswick Show here at 101.1 FM. Uh, the answer, good to have you along with us at 9 o'clock. Got uh, an author on with me here this first half hour. He's been on with me before. He was with me last week uh, from his new book called Inflation, What It Is, Why It's Bad, and How to Fix It. Nathan Lewis joins us. Nathan, thanks for making room for us again this week. I had more questions, and I even got more questions than what I had last week after Yellen sat in front of uh, the committee and talked yesterday. Great to be here again. Yeah, did you, back. did you happen to uh, watch any of her uh, appearance yesterday? Uh, I didn't, actually. Okay, well, here's my – and I talked to Congressman French Hill today – who is big in the banking side of what's going on in Congress and whatnot. He's our uh, District 2 congressman here. And he said that he was embarrassed for Yellen because all she was doing is sitting up in front of this uh, – these people and said look uh supply chain issues and ukraine that's the reason uh we got high gas prices that's the reason why we've got inflation that's the reason for you know everything you know what you'll wear to sunday's school next uh, this next weekend or whatever uh it's embarrassing to me to watch somebody like yellen who supposedly is you know a very very smart woman uh, get up there and just parrot, you know, the Green New Deal and all of that crap. Well, that's what always happens in these situations. Uh, politicians point fingers elsewhere. <laughs> uh, Yellen's actually from the Federal Reserve, so, <laughs> so it's kind of funny. She didn't. She didn't even mention that at all. <laughs> yeah, the swamp creature, the Federal Reserve. I mean, Washington didn't want a central bank. Hamilton finally talked him into it, and. You know, 200 years down the road, you know, it's crazy. Absolutely nuts. What can I say? Uh, it is a swamp creature. I forget who wrote that book about uh, the Federal Reserve being a, a not the swamp that people talk about now, but a creature out of the swamp and not with the best interests of the country in mind. So, Nathan, here, I, go ahead. 
I think you're referring to uh, the creature from Jekyll Island. There you go. Edward Griffin. Yes. And that, uh, highly recommended. It's still in, in print in Amazon. I think it's from the 60s or 70s. But very worthwhile. Well, it tells you where I stand, doesn't it, that I read stuff like that. <laughs> anyway, let, let's get into this because I wanted to talk about uh, silver and gold with you today because it, it seems like that's what everybody's talking about. They're saying inflation, inflation, inflation. You you talked with us last week about, you know, you know where it comes from and and why it's bad we and i want to, this week to get into how to fix it and part of fixing it as far as i'm concerned is as a, a person and i'm 69 i'm not retired as you know i'm doing a show uh and i put off my retirement again i don't know when i'll retire to be honest with you and um, i look at it and i say you know, right now, I don't want to retire. Everything that people are saving is worth less, and uh, they're wondering how they make it up. And gold and silver are two uh, precious metals everybody keeps bringing up. And and so what's the rule of thumb here? How much, how much gold and silver should you have to try to protect your, uh, your nest egg? Uh, that's a good question. Um, and you and, the, and professional asset managers, I've done a little math to kind of work that out and something they can present to their clients and so forth. And the important thing to understand is that we live in an environment of floating fiat currencies. And this is sort of a new thing. It's from 1971. And so all of U.S. history before then, the gold standard era, owning gold was, I would say, entirely pointless, but not very interesting. You could just own a government bond that was also linked to gold. Right. Make an interest income. So... <laughs> but what happened was, now that we are in the floating fiat era, uh, we have had a steady decline, uh, not steady, but intermittent declines in the value of our currency, just like all the other floating fiat currencies all around the world. We're just the same as everybody else. And we have to somehow deal with that. And the premier tool to deal with that has always been gold, because gold has, for thousands of years, had a special property which... It's pretty reliably stable in value. It doesn't go up in value, which makes it kind of a poor speculation. But it also doesn't go down in value, which means means it's the chief way to protect your assets and protect your capital, especially when currencies themselves decline in value. Okay. Okay, so buying silver and gold is different than buying stocks and bonds. I mean, as far as that's concerned, let me... Let me uh, suggest a question that I have, and that is, if I buy silver and gold, should I ask for the silver and gold that it be put in my hand, or is the certificate as good as having it in your hand? I, I always recommend, oh, by the way, I should mention that uh, the, the professional asset managers, including Ray Dalio, recently mentioned this, is that since 1971, the correct weighting or uh, a good weighting is about 15% precious metals in the typical you know, 60-40 stock bond kind of okay. portfolio. Um, in terms of the form of gold, I always recommend everyone to own at least a little bit of physical gold in their personal possession in their house. You know, a coin, a couple coins, uh, just so you can kind of get your mind out of this land of abstraction where, you know, you're looking at your monthly broker statements and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. uh, if you, and you may, you may wish to 
holds much more substantial amounts. You can get private vaulting, uh, which is not a bad option. Uh, and of course, there are ETFs and so forth. Um, so, from then on, it depends on your perceived risk of you know are these broker ETFs and all the various chains of legal obligations between you and the bullion going to hold up in a, in a difficult situation, uh, or would you rather prefer to go through a little more cost and difficulty to have uh, you know bars in your name stored in some independent depository? Um, but nevertheless, I, I recommend everyone to at least um, buy a coin or two. Uh, I also like the, the, the silver coins from the 1950s and 1960s. You don't have to buy thousands, but you own a few silver dimes and quarters, and you can see what money used to be in this, in this country. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you used to be able to actually hold it in your hand. I, I still have some silver dollars that my father had, and then, you know, he, he uh, gave them to me at his death. And... Uh, that's very cool to have those. I recently gave my son, he's 10, some 90% silver dimes and quarters from the 1950s. And he also, I also printed out a, a, McDonald's, a McDonald's menu from the 1950s. So, <laughs> so, so he, they, they actually make a different sound. They make a silver ring when you jiggle these coins. And you say, you know, see, well, your grandfather, who he knows, of course, when he, when he was your age, he used to go down with his skateboard down to McDonald's. And this quarter is silver would buy him a burger, fries, and a Coke. Yeah. It really would. <laughs> yeah, it'd also get me into the movie theater for popcorn, a soda, and, th- and two movies, usually. Yeah, and and until we the floating fiat currency era in, began in 1971, uh, the U.S. dollar really didn't change in value very much. There was one devaluation in 1933, but except for that one devaluation from... From essentially from 1789, the beginning of the United States, to 1971, the U.S. dollar really didn't change value. It was pretty reliable, and that made it the world's premier currency. How how did that get changed? I mean, I, rem- I we talked about this last week. I remember Nixon on television holding up a dollar bill when this all started happening and saying, your dollar will be worth a dollar tomorrow and uh, 10 years down the road and basically in perpetuity. And... I was in high school at the time, and I started thinking, all right, so what you're telling me is money is only worth as much as people say it's worth. Seems like to me my dollar may not be worth what it used to be like, you know. And how were they able to pull the wool over people's eyes about this? Yeah, what happened? Because two things. One is we had the gold standard system, or or even beyond just – Gold, but the principle of stable value—that a currency would be stable and unchanging—that it was a it was a defined constant of commerce, like the pound or the kilogram or the minute—it it didn't change. That was the principle of the United States until 1970, and and it worked great. We became the wealthiest country in the history of the world. We had a very prosperous middle class. The 1960s decade was probably the most prosperous of the last century, and Richard Nixon actually didn't want to end it. He was he saw it. He knew a good thing when he saw it, and he actually tried to fix it in December of 1971, along with Arthur Burns at the Fed. Um, so what happened? And what it amounts to is, is two things. One is that people at the time, the experts who were put in charge of managing the system, didn't really know what they were doing, and they kind of messed it up. So you know, we have experts to do these things. We have pilots to pilot the airplane, and 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 sometimes if you hire the wrong guy, the airplane crashes. 
<laughs> right, I got gotcha. you. But it, and uh, and the other thing, and related to that, was the idea that oh, we no longer wanted a stable, neutral, unchanging constant of commerce free of human manipulation, which the gold standard was in principle. We wanted to play games with the money. This is you know a, a, manipulating interest rates, manipulating the money supply. Changing the value of the currency. These are the basically three avenues by which central banks uh, engage in macroeconomic manipulation, and that's you know it's no secret. That's what they talk about day in and day out. How they're going to manipulate the economy by pulling all the levers and turning the wheels over at the Fed. Completely different framework than a dollar is just X amount of gold, and that's the way it is, and that's the way it should always be. Um, and there's there's no attempt at macroeconomic manipulation. So we have to get out of that out of that framework if we want to go back to the stable value principle. Yeah, well, the whole thing is how can you go back to the stable value principle when you owe as much money as the uh, the United States government owes today? I think you're right. That that is a major political hurdle. Uh, in the past, both Britain and the United States have gotten out of uh, big debt obligations, notably after World War II and in, in Britain after uh, the Napoleonic Wars. Federal debt after World War II is over 120% of GDP, about where it is today. And they ran it down by uh, balancing the budget and just the process of economic growth in the 50s and 60s. But uh, we don't really, uh, you know, I think many people perceive we don't really have that discipline today. So that kind of takes us plan B. And plan B is basically has two parts. Um, one is the present system blows up. <laughs> right. Uh, which is always when you get changes in any political system is when the existing system fails. Correct. And, number, and, and the second part of that is we have to have an image in our mind, an idea of what we want uh, instead. For example, stable value principle, for example, gold standard. Uh, because if we don't have any idea of what we want, then it's just chaos. And you see this in Latin American countries, right? They have one crisis after another, and they never really fix things. It just kind of stumbles from one thing to another. And we, if we're going to avoid that pattern, uh, we're going to have to have an idea of what we want uh, after we inflate away all the debt or whatever, or whatever the historical outcome is. Yeah, it's it's it's. I just think it's real. I just think we're in a very very precarious and scary situation right now. But the whole world is in that situation. The whole world is doing this manipulation that we're talking about. Let's continue that discussion and let's talk about how do we fix it? How do we convince people that you know having an, an ounce of gold means so much money? We've got that much gold sitting in, quote, Fort Knox, so to speak, to back up uh, our American currency. Our guest is uh, Nathan Lewis. The name of the book is Inflation, What It Is, Why It's Bad, How to Fix It. We'll continue with him when we return. All right, back with our guest, Nathan Lewis. Uh, He has put together this book, Inflation, What It Is, Why It's Bad, How to Fix It. Uh, Also, you know, articles from Steve Forbes. Elizabeth Ames, and uh, it's a great book. I mean, really, if you if you want to understand what inflation is and what it's doing to you, I highly recommend this book. You'll understand a lot more 
when you pay attention to what's going on. And I'm trying to hit the high points uh, with Nathan on his book because, like I said, it, it should be in your library. And I, I know a lot of maybe you just want to put it on your Kindle. You can do that as well. Put it on your Kindle uh, so you can carry it around with all your other books that you got uh, and, uh, and, and make yourself cognizant of what is happening uh, with uh, you know our money here in, in this in in the nation at this time. So where are we now, uh, Nathan? As far as you're concerned, here in in our country, as far as inflation is concerned, I mean, I look at the consumer price index, but that's not just what I'm looking at. I'm looking at what producers are paying to be able to make the uh, products that we as consumers are buying. I think that's what predicates what's coming down the road, and it doesn't look pretty right now. Uh, Yeah, setting monetary topics aside for now, there are are also some not only kind of supply chain issues, but I think in food and energy in particular, uh, I think prices are probably going to go a lot higher. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think we could probably go to, you know, uh, nationwide average gasoline price is just about five dollars right now. I think we could go to seven within, let's say, the end of next year. Wow! Um, and that and that and that is independent of that is independent of any further monetary developments. And that's just that's just the oil and gas industry. Um, uh, and then for for now, actually, uh, we had a we had a kind of burst of of monetary expansion, not just the United States, but all around the world, in, in response to COVID in twenty twenty. And I think the dollar fell in value during that time. It certainly fell in value versus gold. Uh, it used to cost about $1,200 to buy an ounce of gold in 2018. And by the end of 2020, it was more like 1900 So uh, it takes more dollars to buy gold. That uh, yeah. was always the historic indicator of declining dollar value. But since then, it's been pretty, it's been pretty flat. The Fed realized it went overboard. Uh, it's been more responsible than some other foreign governments uh, Bank of Japan, European Central Bank has been much even more lax than the Fed. Uh, so for right now, there hasn't been a lot of new monetary impulse. But it, but looking forward, I, I, whether it be for 12 months or five years or 10 years, I do agree with you that I think we're in a situation where a lot of these things, you know, people were warning about in the 80s or the 90s, you know, forever, throughout, you know, yeah. pretty much constantly, pretty much constantly. You know, this is not going to end well, but we kind of got to the point where it doesn't end well, right? We kind of got to the point where we, we perceive that, yeah, we built up this debt over all these years. And just look at Congress, right? We we have no, there's no pullback. There's no stepping on the brakes. And in fact, they just kind of double down. They just go, you know, wild on on spending programs that were inconceivable five years ago, just like vomiting money all over the landscape, which tells you that the tells me that the political winds are towards let's you know take one more toke off this funny money joint before it all goes up in flames. Yeah. <laughs> right? Not let's let not let let's fix the problem. Um, so I, I tend to think that we will reach a sort of resolution uh, in the next five or ten years, and it's not the first time in U.S. history where you know. We muddled through with slavery throughout the 1820s and 1830s and 1840s and 1850s, and, and President Lincoln attempted to muddle through even in, in the 1860s, but didn't work. 
Right. right. <laughs> it, it had to resolve itself. And that was the time. And I think we're in the time where our funny money deficit spending kind of basically Keynesian themed approach is come to the end of the road. Yeah, you just you brought up the name that I was just thinking about. Keynesian. OK, that used to be what the Democrats believed in, sort of. Uh, Republicans didn't. Now Republicans believe in it, sort of. Democrats have doubled down and they've gone into this new Keynesian thought process. Yes, and it's good to have an idea of what Keynesianism is, just broadly speaking, uh, and also the alternative, because we used to do the alternative in the United States, as every other country did. And basically... The alternative is you don't really try to manage the ups and downs of the economy. You don't play games with the money, macroeconomic manipulation. You don't try to spend your way out of recession. You just keep a keep the money stable in value. You keep a strong business-friendly policy, maybe make it even more business-friendly, like lowering taxes or reducing regulation, not spending money um, in the event of a recession. And if you do that, if the, if the foundations of the economy are good, reliable currency, business-friendly environment, you're going to get a good economy again, right? The recession will pass, and, and everything will be fine. That's what the United States used to do. Yeah. Um, and that, But now we're into this idea, which began in the Great Depression, and now kind of reaching its, its logical extreme, where you know, the more government spending is a solution to every conceivable problem. More increasingly interventionist central bank. You know, central banks just keep on adding new things that didn't even exist. Nathan, I I got to jump in because we're we're out of time. I'm going to set you up again for another interview. Just going to let you know right now. Uh, Inflation, what it is, why it's bad, how to fix it. We'll talk to him more about that in the very near future. All right. Back with you. Dave Ellswick Show. Last half hour of today's show, and uh, we got uh, a couple interesting stories we want to talk about with you. And and that is, uh, yesterday, uh, the Biden administration and I think uh, Department of Homeland Security put out kind of a joint press uh, uh, release saying that uh, they were preparing perhaps for uh, some bad actors to raise their heads here in uh, in the, in the country, and the first time that I've seen it happen since they started doing this, uh, and uh, you know when D- DHS did this uh, with Obama's administration, it was all about former you know military people, people who were vets like myself, and how we had to be watched and we had to be careful. Then it was white supremacists. You know, we had to watch for them because they were going to, you know, raise all kinds of cane. But yesterday, it was the left that they targeted and they mentioned. Uh, You know, a pro-life medical office and pregnancy center in Buffalo, New York, was uh, firebombed on Tuesday morning. Did you hear about that? I didn't hear anything about that on the national news. Uh, And it was done by radical abortion advocates. Ever since uh, this uh, uh, Scalia information was released 
a little over a month ago, uh, the left has, uh, and the, the pro-abortion people and the radicals in that uh, organization uh, have gotten crazy. They've been doing crazy stuff. I don't know if you heard what happened to Joel Olstein down in Houston over the win- uh, weekend. Did you hear about this, uh, Heidi, on the Sunday service they had down at his church? Uh, some women showed up, uh, were in, in the service, and stripped down to their, their bras and panties and st- stood up and uh, started uh, shouting, uh, you know, uh, pro-abortion type, uh, you know, sayings, you know, stay out of my womb and all of that kind of stuff. They were taken out of uh, the sanctuary uh, by uh, the security of the church, uh, and uh, then they, they had a little press conference so it just so happened the media showed up. Media must have shown up because they called them and said this was going to happen. And so then they uh, they got their uh, their 15 minutes of fame and and uh, stood in front of the cameras and said that, uh, hey, yeah, you, you know, uh, the church has been coming to our home talking about abortion clinics. Now we're going to come to your home. So uh, get ready. They're just saying that they're, they're paying attention uh, to the left, and there's it's more than just that. Compass Care, which is a Christ-centered organization dedicated to erasing the need for abortion, said it sustained heavy damage to its building with this fire. Uh, from Life News, uh, graffiti on the building left by the arsonist refers to the abortion terrorist group Jane's Revenge. Uh, read that, you know, the... the the stuff that sprayed on the uh, this uh, pro-life uh, facility was Jane was here. The group took responsibility for a firebombing of a pro-life organization in Madison, Wisconsin, in May, uh, responsible for bombing the offices of Oregon Right to Life during the same month. It has also vandalized and destroyed multiple churches and pregnancy centers. Wow, sounds a whole lot like the weathermen. You know, the weathermen started off that's doing just exactly that way uh, back in the late 60s, early 70s. And then they had the mistake at the University of Wisconsin. People got killed, and then other people were killed, and it wasn't by mistake. Uh, National Review talking about this as the string of rampages by the group comes after the surprise leak of the Supreme Court draft majority opinion that would overturn Roe v. Wade, the 1973 landmark decision that legalized abortion on a national level. The Department of Homeland Security is preparing for more unrest after the release of that official opinion. Uh, Then they came out May 13th with a memo, and then this other one yesterday. And this is from the DHS's Intelligence Bureau, projecting that threats to the Supreme Court justices, members of Congress, and other public officials, clergy and health care providers, quote, are likely to persist and may increase leading up to and following the issuing of the court's official ruling. Now, when's that supposed to come? Everybody thought it was going to happen this week. It did not. Now everybody's saying probably next week. They, they're going to have to release it before July. Uh, they got to do it. Uh, here in in June. So it's coming. We'll have to see what happens when it does. But just know that, 
you know, everybody has been yelling about the right, the right, the right, the right, and the Democrats are going to you know yell about the right on Thursday on this uh, uh, January 6th thing that happened at the Capitol. And, uh, and, and, and here we have now the left doing all of this. And this is basically the first I've heard that they now are cons- uh, considering uh, this Jane uh, was here, uh, Jane's revenge as being a terrorist group. You wouldn't know it unless I think you listen to this show. Nobody's talking about it. And uh, basically, the only people that are talking about it is Christian media. The secular uh, media, ABC, NBC, CBS, even Fox News, MSNBC, uh, CNBC, and all the rest aren't reporting on this, not bringing it to you. Uh, There was some reporting uh, early on on uh, the attack in Wisconsin, however— this group wasn't mentioned, and they had taken responsibility. So just something to keep in the forefront of your mind and watch at what they're doing uh, as far as uh, this from these leftist groups. So the leftists are now raising their heads, and they're getting, uh, they're getting louder and louder, and, uh, of course, they've marched in front of Supreme Court justices, uh, homes. Uh, they have, uh, you know, again, set fire, bombed, uh, you know, pro-life organizations. Uh, they're threatening elected officials. They're threatening Supreme Court justices. And uh, this is getting really, really ugly. Uh, and let's see how long it takes for the national media to cover this for the story that it is. You remember back when when Rudolph was doing his thing? Everybody remember Rudolph in Carolinas? He shot an abortion doctor, and uh, they had to track him down in the hills, and he was a, an outdoorsman, and they, they had a lot of trouble. It took him months to catch the guy. Uh, but he's in, in prison right now for life. Uh, he's He's never going to get out. And that was almost a nightly story uh, for the mainstream media. You haven't heard a peep out of them, basically, about these stories. All right, I've got one last story I want to talk to you about, but we'll have to do it after the break. It's 945 on a Wednesday morning. We're halfway through the week. More rain coming. We've already had some of it here at the radio station. You look outside, it looks like it's 10 o'clock at night and not 10 o'clock in the morning here on 101.1 FM, The Answer. Another story that uh, we haven't heard a lot about, and I wanted to talk to to this because uh, this is beginning to be talked about here in the state of Arkansas, and we need to learn from other states that have already taken this step, and it hasn't worked. In Oregon... Uh, their decriminalization of drugs has backfired miserably. Uh, you remember that 2020 ballot measure they had, and it decriminalized drugs. I mean, cocaine, mushrooms, pot, all of it. They, they, they decriminalized it. And uh, the state officials in Oregon are having big meetings now 
because this has failed miserably, absolutely miserably failed. And uh, funds uh, remain unspent uh, to help people with these drug problems. Testimony before their House Committee on Behavior Health uh, Thursday uh, painted a grim picture of Oregon's efforts. This was last Thursday. It encouraged uh, self-help in lieu of incarceration, you know, drug courts and things of that nature. Get people treatment, yada, yada. Hasn't worked. It has not worked. Uh, When the voters of Oregon passed Measure 110, uh, it was done so because it was a change of policy in Oregon to improve the lives of people and to improve our communities. That's according to the Secretary of State, Shima Fagan. And she was testifying. I'm going to read directly uh, from her testimony. Quote, in the years since, two years, We haven't seen that play out. Instead, we've seen the problem with drug addiction get worse. In fact, Republican State Representative Lily Morgan sat in front of the committee and explained that in her community that she represents, they have seen a 700% increase in overdoses. 700%. And a 120% increase in deaths. Now, this, this is what's happening in Oregon, and it's, it's important that you hear this because it's not working, and it has not gone the way that they hoped it would go. Uh, quoting from uh, Morgan, Representative Morgan, Director, you've mentioned a couple of times that you're waiting to see, and yet we have overdoses increasing at drastic rates, she said, uh, and uh, you've seen it. Your eyes aren't lying to you. The figures aren't lying to to you. Oregon's Behavior Health Director, Steve Allen, defended the project as having potential, but still said, it was just an experiment. Quote, we were, we were just under-resourced to be able to support this effort. Now, remember they said they hadn't spent the funds that needed to be spent. So they were going to do it. They just didn't do it. They still got the money. They're not spending the money to help the folks that are coming for help. The work that was involved in supporting something that looked like this, and partly we didn't fully understand it until we were in the middle of it. Now, ballot measure 110 went into effect in February of last year. People with small amounts of heroin, meth, cocaine, mushrooms, uh, and other drugs received a ticket with a $100 fine that was waived if they called a hotline for treatment. But only 91 of 1,885 people that had been ticketed called the hotline. Allen admitted he needed more staff because he underestimated the amount of work needed to make the program succeed. So far, only 13% of $300 million set aside has been spent. Other state officials who attended the hearing defended the program and said the challenges could be overcome with a more focused 
efforts. See, this is what we always hear. It went wrong because we just didn't do it right. If we do it differently, it'll work. It's like socialism. Socialism didn't work because they did it wrong. Well, this didn't work because it was done wrong. Oregon has the worst drug addiction rate in the country, with 9% of their citizens admitting that they're addicts and 12% labeling, labeling themselves alcoholics, according to the National Survey on Drug Use and Health. Now, I consider alcohol a drug as well. So uh, add it together, and you got 21%. One out of every, you know, four people that are having these problems. It's a miserable, miserable, ridiculous failure it really is and uh this is it's it's not good to say the least it is just not good so there, there's a couple couple of stories and it's something to be uh to be to understand uh with uh this type of stuff that you know i mean look new york has tried this kind of stuff and and all kinds of even cracking down on drugs has a bad way of, of uh, you know, affecting addicts. There's no doubt about that. I mean, all you got to go back to is the whole, you know, panic in Central Park in New York City uh, years ago when the the war on drugs was working. They were they were cracking down on on heroin and they made heroin very difficult to get, and so the addicts were just, you know fallen dead in central park dying because they couldn't get the drugs that uh, that they needed and it's you, you got to think this stuff through and they just don't think uh this kind of stuff through they just don't unintended consequences we talk about that all the time uh, about that all right finally out in california you know, the home of fruits, nuts, and flakes. A California Democrat behind the state's law softening sex offender requirements for sodomy with minors. Let me read that to you again. Softening sex offender uh, requirements for sodomy with minors suggested that he would introduce additional legislation adding Drag Queen 101 to school curriculums. Scott Weiner, his name, not mine, not mine making fun of him, a gay politician who represents San Francisco, and we know how wonderful the, the, the city of San Francisco is to live in now, uh, weighed in Tuesday on, on this, saying that uh, he wanted to uh, get uh, attending a drag queen story time uh, in schools or uh, a bill offering Drag Queen 101 as part of the K-12 through curriculum. Is that they don't have enough problems in San Francisco. They won't have as much problem as they have right now uh, with their uh, uh, district attorney. He was voted out of office yesterday uh, on all of that, and uh, he'll not be there anymore, so... We're going to have to just keep our eyes open as we watch this stuff. It just never ends. 
you got these crazy people out there. And look, I bet you you could talk to uh, 10 gay people and they look at what this guy's doing and go, he's a nut job. Yeah, but he's a nut job that was elected probably by a preponderance of gay people in San Francisco. So just something, something for you to think about. All right, tomorrow on the Dave Ellswick Show, uh, we'll have uh, Pat Davis is going to be on in the 9 o'clock hour, and I'm going to ask him some uh, really good questions, I think. I got, the first one i got to ask him is going to be, okay, so you can have any health insurance, any provider, and you're going to show people who call you how they can save 30 to 50%, how they can get rid of co-pays, how they can get rid of the big uh, deductibles, and uh, ask him to explain how that is done because I get those questions from you, okay? So instead of saying to you, call him, I'm going to bring him in here and I'm going to ask him, and uh, we'll get uh, his answer here on the Dave Ellswick Show and talk about health insurance tomorrow and how to save money. It's my kind of my consumer hour tomorrow, all about saving money. Also, uh, the hour before that, or two hours before that, uh, the 7 to 8 o'clock hour, uh, Joe and Duck will be here. They'll be talking about cars and issues around cars and things of that nature. And uh, in the 6 o'clock hour, uh, we'll take a look at the news and see the important things that are out there, maybe have an interview. There's an author that I'm really wanting to get on, and maybe we can uh, get him on at like 6.35 in the morning. It's John Stadden. He's written a book called Science in an Age of Unreason that I think uh, is very, very good, and we'll talk about it. I tell you, I read it. I read constantly, and uh, I come across good books. And I can get the authors on. I'm going to get them on and let them talk to you about it. So uh, secular humanism denies the supernatural, defers matters of fact to science, but it is rich in moral rules and dogma as any religion you can have. We'll talk about all of that coming up on tomorrow's show. Be with me, won't you? We'll start it underway at 6 a.m. Until then, stay dry, and I'll see you tomorrow here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.